Well, good morning. I'll give you this. Ooh, that's loud. I feel like I'm really up high here, so. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Skiro, what do they call you? Uh, whatever. <laughs> well, thank you for, for having, having me come, and um, I'm, I'm honored, I'm privileged, I'm humbled. I just thank you all for opening doors and your hearts to what the Lord would have me share with you this morning. So I'm just going to open in prayer. Lord, I, I thank you. You're so good to us, Lord. God, I, I stand up here as um, a very weak vessel willing to be used in any way that you, you want, Lord. And I just pray that your spirit would be, your spirit's already been in this place, Lord. I just pray that you would continue to, to be here and, and speak through me. Lord, let your anointing be upon me, my mouth, Lord. But God, may your anointing be upon the ears of each hearer in this place, that we'd have hearts open to hear and receive what you have for us this morning. You are our teacher. You are our guide. You're the, the one who brings revelation. You work in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure, Lord. So we just open ourselves up to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd ask you to open to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1. I'll give you a minute to get there. I think, the, uh, the, I, think I gave you the verses for these here. We have, those will be up on the screen as well. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in war entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules." Then turn to Isaiah chapter 40. I have one request. Would somebody be able to grab me a bottle of water? Thank you. Ah, he's already come with it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. So Isaiah chapter 40, we're going to start in verse 28. Thank you. Appreciate it. I get, I get dry when I speak, so... I'm not dry as I speak. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 28. Very familiar passage of scripture. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So this morning, uh, the title of this is, I just called it, Soldiers Prepared for Battle. Soldiers Prepared for Battle. So we know that... Uh, a, a soldier must be strong. Uh, whenever we think of modern warfare, I particularly, I, 
I prefer to study uh, ancient warfare. I, I have a particular interest in Roman and Greek history and um, some of the methods they use. But there's always strength that we're picturing, that we're imagining. They need a strength a strength to be able to go out into battle, to be able to face the enemy, whatever that enemy is, whatever that enemy looks like, however that enemy presents themselves, they need a strength. Hello, there we go. Switch over to that, okay. Yep, no, not a problem. Hello, okay, we're back. So the scripture in multiple places uh, really alludes to and, and even calls us soldiers. Not only here in 2 Timothy 2, but we see pictures of the, the armor of God, right? We're to wear the armor of God. Um, there's, there's multiple uh, uh, scripture pointing to this. So we're soldiers. I think of the old children's songs, if you're familiar with them, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Right? Um, that was something that was taught to us as children, that was driven home. But to really, um, really look at life and what we face and what we endure, there really is a, a soldier mentality that we have to have to a certain degree. And we need strength. We need strength today that we didn't possess yesterday. We can't lean on just what was done Yesterday, we can't. Um, the, the Lord brings us through great, a great many different things, trials, tribulations. There's great victories. Sometimes there's there's failures, and the Lord picks us up. He dusts us off, and he he carries us on. But we can't just depend on the past victory. There's a forward mo- movement we need to have. There's a, a continuing on in the Lord. There's there is a harsher harder, more difficult battle that lies before us. There is a war that we are in, and we need a greater strength today than, than we had yesterday, and that can only come by the grace of God in our lives. In this passage in Isaiah 40, <clears throat> verse 31, it says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. There is a, a renewal of strength that we need to have this is not a renewal to some previous level of strength. Um, it's very easy to get focused on the practical, the natural. It's what we see with our eyes in this life. But there is a much greater battle. There's a much greater um, uh, warfare uh, plane of battle that, is, that exists in the spiritual. The, the things that we encounter in this life, um, the, the, maybe the enemy that we see with these eyes, we know that they are not the enemy, okay? The one who comes against you. It is the spirit of, of Satan, the, the demonic activities that are going on in the spiritual realm that's behind this. Any persecution we endure that we face, it's not the government. It's, it's demonic. It's Satan driving these things. We can very easily get caught up in becoming so angry with the, the political climate the the politician that we disagree with that we begin to hate them and God would have us love them God would have us pray for them it's the spiritual war behind the scenes that we can't see with these physical eyes that is what we need to be concerned with I will be I will be a good citizen and I will cast my vote but I have no hope in this government changing anything for the good 
I have all my hope in Christ. And even if this gets darker and more dangerous, even if we have to go underground as a church, it's not going to be my hope in some man or woman to rise up and be a strong political force to change the, the tide. My hope is in Christ. And he is going to use us through those times. He's going to use us in that darkness. He's going to use us in the persecutions, the trials, the tribulations. He's going to use us for his glory. And there will be souls saved. There will be lost that are brought into the kingdom as a result. But it's going to take a renewal of our strength. And it's got to be a work that the Lord does. Think of Romans 12 too. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is not, again, this is not intellect. This is not um, great learning. This is a spiritual revelation given by God that changes our very thought patterns. That changes the, the very makeup of how we perceive things and how we understand things. He's taking us beyond a, a, an intellectual understanding of him into a very deep and intimate knowing of him and him knowing us. So just as our minds need a renewing, our strength needs a renewing. It'll never be in my physical might. I'm a pretty weak guy to begin with. It'll, it'll never be in my intestinal fortitude. It'll never be in me pulling myself up by my bootstraps. It'll always be in the grace of God. It'll always be by his spirit. It's got to be a renewal that comes in the spirit, man. By the spirit. We, we, it's so easy for us to get caught up in looking at the very physical nature of things. We got to be able to see. Remember the man, I, I, I should I didn't include this in here, but there's the story of the Syrian army has got, um, got Israel surrounded. And I don't remember if it's Elijah or Elisha, but his assistant, he's like, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. And he says, those who are with us than those who are, are more than those who are against us. And then he prays and the Lord opens his eyes and the mount that they're in is surrounded with chariots of angels. And an, an, enti an entire heavenly army there to go to war for them. We have that available to us. Do you see it? We can't see it with these physical eyes, but in the spiritual. Those who are with us are those, greater than those who are against us. So in Isaiah, when he says in verse 30, even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fail, that's because it's a very physical strength that they are dependent upon. But the strength that we have, the source that we have, is God Almighty himself. It is by the Spirit. So we need to be, going back to uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1, we need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You have, we have got to understand the absolute necessity to be completely, utterly, totally dependent upon the grace of God. This is not a, a, uh, a false grace that much of the church wants to, to push, that much of the world loves to hear, where I can just do as I please, and the grace of God is there to allow me. He'll forgive me. No, this is, this is, that is so shallow. Um, for years they referred to it as greasy grace, right? It's a slippery thing. It's a dangerous thing. 
it will take you to hell. But the grace of God, it is there. He does forgive. He is merciful. Oh, thank you, Lord. But there's such a great power there that is available to us that I no longer have to live this way. Philippians 2.13, it was mentioned earlier, he works in you both, what, to will and to do. That is the grace of God active in your life, starting from the inside and working its way out. He will change your very desires. And then he will give you the ability to live in such a way. Um, Matt and I were just talking before service and how it's wonderful that God would give us revelation. It starts with revelation. You can't really know him the way he wants to be known without revelation of God, but it can't end there. It must carry out into living. That revelation is going is to bring about something new within you that is only brought by the Spirit, and then he's going to cause you to live this way, to walk this way. Um, it's uh, in, in, in Ezekiel, oh boy, what is it, 36 or 37, it's hard to remember off the top of my head here, but he says that I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes. This is not to say that you have no choice in the matter. This is not to say that you can't resist the Lord. We can, but if he has changed your very desires then it, by necessity, it needs to lead to an outward flow. We, can, we, we like to get this backwards where, you know, the Pharisees, they, they dress up the outside. They play the holy part. They say the holy thing. I mean, we, we do that as Christians. You might not want to consider yourself a Pharisee, but, you know, the Lord has convicted me many times of some Pharisaical views of how this is done, where if I just act out this principle, then I'm good. If I just say this and do that, then I'm good. When what the Lord wants is the heart. He wants, I, I wouldn't say he doesn't care about the outward action, but he is so much more concerned about the heart because if he gets the heart, he gets the rest of the man. If he gets the heart and he can change the heart, then all the other stuff just falls in line. Because if their heart is given to God, if God has their heart, then that is the desire. Now my desire is to please my God. And now I can actually do it. Everything the believer will do in Jesus and for Jesus will only come by the grace that is in Jesus. Everything the believer will do in Jesus and for Jesus will only come by the grace that is in Jesus. If you're attempting to do this any other way, you are outside of his grace and you are in a dangerous place. It can only come by his grace. Faith in him. It is God's grace that you face the tribulation. Now, 2 Timothy 2, it goes on to talk about enduring hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Have anybody in here endured hardship in their life? Get them both up, right? And how often in that, in, in that uh, hardship have you despised it? Many times. I hate this. I hate them. Why? Why am I going through this? What have I done wrong? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why now? Why this way? We don't understand. We can't see the big picture. We're so myopic. I mean, we see what's right in front of our eyes, and that's about it. 
We have a hard time with that. But God sees a much greater picture, and he's got a, a, a much greater purpose. I, I reference Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a lot at my church, and I think of them often and how they're faced with the fire. You know, these guys could be sitting there thinking, Lord, we've been faithful to you. We've not bowed. You tell us not to bow to any but you. You tell us not to worship any but you, and here we're worshiping you, and now we've got to go be thrown into the fire. Well, that's just how it is sometimes in life. And the thing is, is the Lord will use that for his glory. You see, when, when these men, first of all, they had a testimony of they're just not going to bow. I worship nobody but my God, and I don't care what you're going to do to me. But then when the time came to be thrown into that fire, they went in. I mean, guys who were, who were controlling them, these soldiers, they died before just getting too close. And these three men are thrown in there. But do you know that the, the king of the world at that point, the ruling king of the world, saw Jesus because they were thrown into the fire? These three men walking around in the fire, unharmed by the fire, with a fourth man who was like the Son of God. You don't know what your hardship, it, what it's doing in you, for one, but what it's doing for somebody else. You may never know in this life what somebody else has witnessed in you. I, I look forward to the day, I, you know, you, you have many thoughts of heaven, what it's going to be like. I don't know what, how some of these things are going. But you have thoughts like, oh, Lord, it's going to be really cool to see whose lives you use to touch through me that I didn't even know. And, you know, and, and um, we don't know. We just don't know. But if we despise the trial and we do everything we can to get out of it and stay out of it, we are actually um, resisting the work of God in ourselves, in somebody else, for his glory. So often the only way out of the fiery trial is to just go through it and let the Lord have his way. And through that, you will experience the grace of God like you never have before. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were blessed with the grace of God when they went through the fire. It is God's grace that you face the tribulation. It is God's grace that enables you to endure the tribulation. It's God's grace that you can glory in the tribulation. We, it actually tells us, Scripture actually tells us in Romans 5, that we glory, we rejoice in tribulation. James says to, to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Why? Not because it's fun. I'm not happy. But knowing that God is in control, that God has a plan and a purpose, that he is working something out, that he is going to get the glory. Even if I never understand in this life what that was all about, I can know that God was in control and that he got glory from it. That's all I need. That's all I need. And I can worship him and I can praise him just because he is God and because he knows. He is sovereign. My little, inf my little uh, finite mind can't grasp a fraction of what he can do and what his purposes are. It is God's grace that you walk in victory through the tribulation, and it is God's grace that you, are, that you may overcome the tribulation. God's grace is needed from, 
point A to point Z, from the start to the finish. We start out in grace, we go through this life in grace, and we end in grace. And it's a pleasure for him to extend it to us. He is not begrudgingly irritated, uh, fine, here's some more. No, it is his joy. He is holding it out saying, please, come, take of this, live by this. Christ is everything, and all grace is found in him. We just can't be his vessels without his grace. There's um, another story of um, uh, bitter waters and the, the healing that needed to come. And um, Elijah, again, I always mix up Elijah and Elisha. Elisha says, get me uh, a, a cruise. I think that's how the King James says it. It's just a small vessel, a little clay vessel, insignificant, nothing, all that big a deal. Put some salt in it. He throws it out in the waters. The water's healed. That little insignificant clay vessel, earthen pot, that's us. That's you and me. He wants to use that little weak thing to fill with his, his grace, his spirit, salt. Salt is rep- We're to have salt in us. Salt so often is representative of the Holy Spirit's power and activity in our life. If we don't have salt, what are we good for, right? Scripture says. So he fills us and casts us out on the waters of life. We bring healing. We are to be a blessing to this world that hates us so much. <clears throat> but we need to wait on the Lord. Looking again at Isaiah 40. To wait on the Lord. This waiting, now those of you who have have uh, heard me say this at church many times. Bear with me. I'm sorry. I'm going to repeat it again. <laughs> but this waiting on the Lord, this is so much more than time. Uh, all right, Lord, when are you going to get here? Um, waiting. This is so much more. This waiting, it, it's got a, um, if you look at the, the deeper meaning, if you look at the Hebrew and what's being implied here, what's being spoken here is that this is, there's a binding that's happening. There's a joining of myself to God. I'm not just waiting on God to get here at a certain time and keep a schedule. I'm waiting upon him as in I, everything I need is in him. Everything that is needed to, to be able to answer this situation, everything that is needed for me to have wisdom, everything that is needed for me to have power, everything that is needed for me to even please him is going to come in me joining myself to him and binding myself to him. I, you know, I've had this thought. Sometimes I feel like Christians, we get this idea of like, oh, there's all this goodness in God, you know. There's strength, there's, there's power, there's wisdom, there's all these things, and we, we like view them as our little toys. Like he gives them to us. Now I get to do what I want with it. Whereas w- how we should see it is everything that we are going to get from him is him. Do you want righteousness? Have Jesus. Don't try to take something of Jesus, some principle, and then apply it to your life in some way that looks righteous and holy. No, grab a hold of Jesus and don't let him go. That's your righteousness and that's your holiness. Every aspect of the armor of God, if you look at those, every one of them is a trait of Jesus. You're putting on Christ. 
So we bind ourselves to him. Not because he's going to give me something that I can take and then I can use in whatever way I think is right. I'm binding myself to him so that when he moves, I move. If he stays, I stay. And this, this binding, this is more than just taking some ropes and tying myself to an elephant's leg, right? This is actually a becoming one. This, this binding, it's, it is, the picture is, that's being implied is a twisting together. Taking two things and twisting them together so they become one cohesive unit. There, when I was originally researching this, there's, there's actually in rope making a, a term called zero, zero twist point, where they twist it together to such a point where it won't unravel. If you, if you twist it together originally and let it go, it'll just unravel itself. But you take it to a point of extreme tension, twisting, pressure, where when you let it go, it's not going to come apart. This is enduring hardship as good soldiers. That we are binding ourselves to God, and no matter what we face, whatever we go through, the pressure of life, the trials, the tribulations, I ain't letting go. It's not that you can't. You just won't. Now, to me, there's lots of argument in the church about eternal security and once saved, always saved. I absolutely believe you can walk away from your salvation. But you know what? I, I believe in eternal security in this sense, that if I remain bound to my Lord, I will not lose my salvation. That gives me confidence and assurance. That does not mean I can go and live as I please to please the flesh. It just means that if I will hold on to Christ, even if I fail, even if I falter, I'm not just flipping back and forth, saved, unsaved, saved, unsaved, living in fear constantly. No, I bind myself to Christ and I don't let go. And I have, I have security in him. But the problem is, is we can get entangled with the, the affairs of life. I've, I can look back in my life multiple times where I just got interested in this, that, or the other thing. Just going to work every day and taking care of my family can get out of whack. And that can become my focus. It's a good thing. I encourage every husband, go to work and take care of your family. Be diligent. Be a hard worker. But your faith, your hope, your trust is not in how hard you work or your boss or your job. We work unto the Lord, which is what enables us to work, be good workers for our, our human uh, bosses and, and jobs. But with that thought in mind of being twisted into Christ, being bound into him where I won't let go, this entanglement of the affairs of life, it's, it's to intertwine or, or inweave, to join together. It could be a twisting again. Involvement with things. The cares of life. I mean, let's, let's put away, let's not put away, let's put aside all of the big sins for a minute. All the stuff that we know is obviously. Don't, don't murder, don't commit adultery. Even the spiritual principle of don't lust, don't, don't hate your brother. Let's just, for a minute, let's just put that aside for a moment. Do you know the cares of life are going to take out more Christians than probably all of those other things put together? And so often the cares of life are good things. 
the devil's like, yeah, you need to do this. You got to go take care of that. You got to, you know, that's being a good husband. That's being a good mother. That's being a good, you know, what a good worker. And in the process, we get our eyes off of Christ just a little bit. It's a small amount here. It's miles down the road. Before you know it, you're like, how did I get here? What will we twist ourselves to? What will we bind ourselves to? You know, the, the couple of passages in Luke talks about this. We see the parable of the, the seeds and the sower. And one of the, the seeds, groups of seeds, was sown among thorns that grew up, choked it out. There was life. There was life. But the cares of life came in, got a hold, a little bit here, a little bit there. Before you know it, you're consumed utterly. Luke 21, 34, Jesus warned them, don't get weighed down by the cares of life. You'll miss it. You'll miss, you're supposed to be looking for his coming, but you're weighed down with the cares of life. You're going to be looking. See, we, we have a, a choice. And this choice remains with us as we uh, go, finish out our life, as we walk with the Lord. You look at Hosea. If you've, if any, have you ever read the book of Hosea? This is an interesting book to read. Um, it's amazing what God asks this man to do. You'll, uh, you'll find sometimes the Lord will ask you to do some things that just don't make sense. But Hosea, Hosea the Lord asked Hosea to, you know, ask him, he told him, he said, I want you to go and marry a, a wife of harlotry. He married a prostitute. I mean, in those times, it was probably, the harlotry was probably more related to um, worship of different pagan gods and such. But the bottom line is she was unfaithful. And he knew it, going into it, she was going to be unfaithful. Now, isn't that a picture of God's love for us? He knew going into this arrangement that we were going to be unfaithful at times. And yet he still loved us. And yet he still provided a, re a way of redemption. <clears throat> but Hosea, he has a, a, a few different children with this woman, Gomer, her name is. And he, he has one of them, a son named Lo-Ami, meaning not my people. So... It's come to a point in Israel where God is saying, you're not my people anymore. And this is God's chosen people. And here he's saying, you're not my people. What's going on here? The, the, the thing is, is it's not that um, God just one day said, you're not my people. It's that they chose to not be his people. And then God had no choice. He's not, he's not going to change to accommodate them. It's not because he wanted to reject them, but because they rejected him. When you look at Hosea 2, 2, it says, She is not my wife, nor am I her husband. It's talking about God with, with Israel. He wanted to be the husband, but she wouldn't have it. It's, if you continue to read Hosea, she, she ends up leaving him. Um, goes back to her harlotries, and <laughs> the Lord says, okay, now I want you to go back and purchase her back to be your wife. This is such a picture of what God has been towards his people, 
with his people, the grace of God, the mercy of God. You see, he wanted to be that husband, but she wouldn't have it. She chose to entangle herself with the affairs of life. She chose unfaithfulness to her husband to pursue anything but him. God, forgive me. I've been so guilty of this in my past. And I thank him that he's been merciful and he's wooed me back. But we have a choice. Are we going to entwine ourselves with him, join ourselves to him and be bound to him? Or are we going to concern ourselves with the cares of life to a point where that's all that matters? And it'll take you, I'm telling you, you get, you get concerned with the cares of life and you start to get off center, off of where the Lord wants you with that. Now the door is open for you to get off into all kinds of sin, past things start creeping in, new things start coming in. The devil's got you right where he wants you. He will come as close to the truth as he has to with just a slight bit of error to get us to, to get our eyes off of Jesus. <clears throat> and you see, it, it's, we have this choice, but it's not enough for us to just turn away from the sin. We have to turn towards something. We have to turn towards Jesus. Um, have you ever heard the term, a vacuum must be filled? There cannot just simply be empty space. You, you have not been saved from your old life, from your old ways, your sin, your, your flesh, just so that you can get on with life how it seems good to you. If you don't fill that space with God, guess what? You're going right back to where you were. You may be worse off. We know that there's an example of of um, the, the uh, Jesus talks about when a, a demon is cast out and the, the place is the inner, inner part of the person that the house is found swept and cleaned out. Jesus has got to fill that space. Otherwise, that demon goes and gets seven more and comes back and takes up residence. If you're not filling your life with Christ, if he's not ever increasing in you and you're just kind of stagnant, just there, you can't stay that way very long. Um, anybody who's ridden a bike knows you can't just stand up on a bike. You got to be moving or your feet got to be down on the ground. Otherwise, you're falling over. You can't just stay still. There might be times where it feels like you're not really growing or not much is happening, but you're still seeking the Lord. Don't, don't despise those times. There's stuff happening. You just don't realize it. But you can't just get saved or come to a point where it's like, I'm good. You know, I start engaging in these different affairs of life. I get caught up in the cares of life. I start dabbling with, you know, something that I know I shouldn't be. I'm watching something I shouldn't be. I'm listening to something I shouldn't be. I'm partaking in, you know, these things. The devil's going to use them to get you focused away from Christ. You're going to find yourself like Peter, who's walking on the water just fine as long as he's looking at Jesus. But the minute you start looking to the left and to the right, you start taking your eyes off him, you have already begun the descent. Now, I'm thankful that, again, you don't just automatically lose your salvation when you fall into sin. We're not talking about struggling with something that you want to have victory over, that you want to be free from. I'm talking about willingly deciding I want this. I want to do this.
But remember, this space, it must be filled. It was not enough for Israel to simply come out of Egypt. They had to go into the promised land. The believer cannot only die. You know, there is much talk of the cross in our life, and I am 100% believer in that, that we, the, the, we have the effect, the, uh, the, we start off with the, the cross bringing a death and a resurrection, but as we walk the rest of our life, that cross is still in effect. It's still coming into your life. Every time you come to the altar, I don't mean the physical altar, but the altar in your heart where you're presenting yourself to Jesus and you're saying, uh, here I am. This is what I am. In all of my weakness, in all of my failure, Lord, this is what I am. Here I am. And you present yourself to him. The cross is going to take effect. There's going to be a continual death, but there must be a resurrection life. If all you ever do is die and never have resurrection life, then I'm telling you, you haven't really died. Not according to the Spirit. There must be resurrection life. There must be something that springs up. You, if, if you plant a seed in the ground, right, the seed dies and then life comes, if the life never comes, that seed was, it, it's worthless. What good is it? What good is it for you to, to live a life of just continual down self-abasement of I'm, I'm this, I'm terrible, I'm bad, you know, I, I got to die, I got to die, but then no life comes. You just live a defeated life. And if anything, you know, and, and we talk about false humility, that gets fed in that situation. And that false humility is pride. It's just dressed up as, as humility. And so you end up with Pharisees running around telling everybody what to do. They want everybody to be as, just as miserable as they are. And there's no life. We cannot merely turn away from sin and self. We must turn towards Christ. <clears throat> I can whip myself all day long and it gains me nothing. I must have Christ. There must be life. So there is a warfare that must be fought. Remember, we're, we're soldiers. We're enduring as soldiers. 1 Timothy 1.18. I'll give you a second to get there. First Timothy 1, 8, uh, 1 verse 18. It says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwrecked. There is a good warfare that we all are appointed to fight, to be a part of. There's three things I want to focus on in this. I'm sure you could probably think of more, but these three main things. First, the battle of flesh and spirit. Um, <laughs> I'm so thankful that the Lord has, has um, set me free from so many things in my life. But you know what? As I walk with him and he continues to sanctify me and to cleanse me and purify me, there's still battles to be fought. This flesh, I, I reckon it dead, but you know what? It still wants to come to life. It still wants to take control. I live as though it's dead, but man, there are battles at times. Um, Anybody who says otherwise, I would encourage you to read Romans 7 and 8. 
Paul goes on and on about this war that he battles with and what he wants to do, he doesn't do, and what he doesn't want to do, he finds himself doing and how miserably wretched that whole thing is. But thank God by Christ, faith in him, all of that can be overcome and defeated. It already is in him. We just need to learn to walk in it, to fully realize it. Um, It's been said so much lately. We fight not for victory, we fight from victory. The victory that Jesus won. Amen? One of my favorite passages, Galatians 5, 16 and 17, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Not walk in the Spirit, and you'll do pretty good. Not walk in the Spirit, and you'll have a good shot at not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. This is a a direct promise. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, you can't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The problem is that are we always walking in the Spirit? I know I'm not. But the Lord is taking me to that place more and more as I surrender myself to him, as I, as I present myself the living sacrifice, I'm walking more and more by the Spirit. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's the battle again. There's that battle. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Don't grow weary in fighting this battle. I know it gets wearisome at times. But you just keep going back in humility. Presenting yourself to the Lord. Present yourself a living sacrifice. Presentation is key. Presentation is of utmost importance. What is presentation? God, I'm miserably weak. Help me. God, I failed again. Help me. God, forgive me. God, I need your grace. I present myself to you. In all of my ugliness, I present myself to you. Change me. The second thing is the world, the devil and his forces, and even mainstream Christianity, religion. There's going to be a warfare. They're coming at you. This is coming to our front doorstep. The battle, we don't have to go looking for the battle. You live your life to please God, you will suffer persecution. You will go through trials and tribulation. You don't have to go running around looking for demons. They're going to come against you. They hate what we're doing. If they're leaving you alone, that's what to be worried about. The devil attacks those who are a threat. The battle is coming to our front doors. There's Pharisees everywhere. We just had a situation a few weeks ago at our church where a man showed up standing outside our front door railing on our entire church. As people are walking in, he's saying, don't go in there. That place is evil. There's no, there's no uh, peace for you in that place. Don't go in there. Me and a, a couple of the other men went out and confronted him, and we, we talked for a while. It was rather... Uh, heated at times. He, he wasn't too open to what uh, we had to say. And, but I'm telling you, he, he condemned every person in our church just for being in our church because we had lights and carpet and we paid bills. We had a building, okay? This came to our front door. We didn't go looking for it. And this is not the only instance. There have been other situations now where the Pharisees, they're popping their heads up. They're coming against us. Um, 
this deliverance ministry stuff that's been all over if you're on Facebook, if you've been following this at all. It's in the movie theaters. Um, I'm just going to tell you, be careful. I said it before, the devil will come as close to truth as he can, as he has to, with just enough error in there to get you focused on something other than Jesus. Don't go looking for demons. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If there is a need, he will reveal it to you. If there is a need for you to, if you're encountered with and confronted with this, you don't need to go looking for it. If he wants you to deal with it, he will give you the eyes to see it. And then he will give you the power to deal with it. We don't need to concern ourselves with running around casting out demons. The time will come. The, the opportunities, if you want to call it an opportunity, they will come. And the Lord will use us if we're just willing vessels. If we're just surrendered to him. If we're just letting him have his way and do what he wants. If we just say, God, here I am. In all my weakness, use me how you see fit. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, if you read that chapter, you get to the end, he talks about how God doesn't choose many wise. He will. But what he, who he likes to choose are the weak, are the foolish, are the, the things that are not, the despised. I look at it and think, check, 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 that's me, all the way down the, down the line. I, sometimes, God, I don't know why in the world you put me here, other than it's just your desire, and you get to get glory through all this. We see talks of revivals. Um, you know, this Asbury thing that happened a couple months ago. I don't judge it because I don't know. I wasn't there. I hear good things. I hear bad things. I'm just not going to judge it. But then you start hearing revivals popping up in other places on these college campuses. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. I mean, if you're in this, this is awesome. But do you see that's if, if, if this truly is a work of the Lord, do you see how the devil works? God's moving, he's doing something, and now the devil's going to come in with his version. He's going to start presenting something that, oh, you know, I'm excited about this revival, all these revivals. Oh, look at this, this thing that popped up. Let's get into that. Read your Bibles. Study the Word of God. And don't, don't just do it to, to know it, but with the Spirit, by the Spirit, let him teach you, let him reveal to you. Then walk in it. Walk, walk with him. You know, if all you're going to do is read your Bible and you're not going to have spirit life, bring it. All you're going to be is a Pharisee. But if you're not going to concern yourself with understanding the scripture, you're going to get caught off into every little wind of whatever silliness is out there. It's spirit and truth. And it's always been that way. But, you know, uh, Pastor Aaron and I were talking the other day about these things. And I know they've always been out there. These deceptions have always been out there, but it's stronger. In my estimation, it seems stronger than ever. I didn't live through all that, but man, is it strong. And we know that in the last days, there will be a falling away. So we're not surprised by this. We shouldn't be. But don't be one of the ones who falls away. Draw near to the Lord. Know him. Know him today. It's only getting worse out there. We went through COVID, that all kind of settled down, and everybody kind of breathes a sigh of relief, like, oh, okay, maybe we're done. No, no, more's coming. I don't want to be a doomsday guy, but the reality is, is more's coming. 
in my mind, that was a trial run. Not only for the world to see what they can get away with, what the devil can get away with, but for us. How did we handle it? How did the church handle it? Did we shrink back in fear or did we rise up? It seems like a lot of us shrunk back in fear. Even initially, I was a little fearful. I didn't know what to think. But I thank God that he, and the ones who want him, the ones who are, their, their hope and faith is in him, it didn't really shake us all that much. Praise God. And then the third thing, hardships, you know, tribulations, trials, we face these things. I said it earlier, you know, in Second Timothy, that first passage, we endure hardship, you know, and, and we talk about the tribulations. We can glory, rejoice in tribulations, take joy in trials. Don't, don't resist them. I know it's hard. I could tell you stories about my family and what we've been through and what we're going through right now. And even with all that the Lord has shown me and revealed to me, I still, my flesh is like, God, why? Why am I going through this again? Why are we dealing with this now? You know, in, in one day last week, we found about, about three close family members who were in the hospital for one reason or another, two of them for heart issues. I mean, really, in a matter of hours, we got those phone calls. It's like, Lord, what? Why? I don't know. For his glory. That's all I know. I don't, I don't, I'm not real happy about it, but there's joy in knowing that I'm not alone and there is a plan. There is a purpose. We are being made into soldiers. And soldiers, they don't just go through all of the training, all of the boot camp for nothing to just sit there and be a soldier, to just put on a cool uniform and look nice in their dress blues or whatever, right? There's a purpose. What good is it to go through all the exercises to then never go to battle? I mean, in this life, we hope that they never have to, but they always need to be ready. We know in the spiritual life, there is a war. We're in it, and it's only going to heat up. Don't despise the trials and tribulations of life. They are ordained by God for his glory and for your good. Romans 5, 3 and 4, I alluded to it earlier. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. This perseverance, you realize what this is saying here. The tribulation you're going through is producing something in you that will create an unshakable, unmovable faith in Jesus. That come what may, I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. Everything else may fall away, but I stand firmly planted on the rock that is Jesus. And this perseverance produces character, godly character, and character hope. What are we hoping? His return to be with him someday. All of these things are building us to be a soldier, to be something for his glory, to build our faith, to cause us to be used by him, and to one day be with him in glory. So I'm going to leave you with, with this thought, this final verse. In Psalm 37, 
you want to turn to that. Psalm 37, verse 23. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. The good man. What is the good man? There is no goodness in ourselves that we can bring to the table. We can't do anything to earn our salvation. We can't really do anything to please God other than just surrender ourselves to him in humility. I'm talking about the flesh, okay? There's nothing I bring to the table that I can do to please God. But this good man, it's not talking about a man who has some great goodness within him. The only goodness in us is Jesus. But this good man, it's, it's referring to a strong man, a warrior. The emphasis is on, on strength or ability to fight. So I would ask you this morning, are you a good man? Are you a good woman? You know, I, I worked, I was a supervisor for four years before I quit my full-time job at a pest control company and I had many different employees I worked in retail management for years at Walgreens. Before that, I had many different employees. There were just some guys, and I'm like, that's a good man. He works hard. He's made mistakes. He's got things to learn, but man, is he a good guy. I can depend on him. He'll, he'll work for me. And then others that you're like, oh, I can't wait to replace this one. One of the, one of the guys I worked with Oh, he made so many mistakes. He's the kind that you're like, oh, what did you do now? It's just frustrating. But he had such an incredibly humble nature about him that I could not help but love this guy. To me, he was still a good man. He just needed help. He needed somebody to come alongside him. He needed grace. So there's nothing that you're going to be able to work up in your own flesh to please God, but... If you will humble yourself and be willing, if you'll present yourself a living sacrifice, if you'll just let him do what he wants to do, and when you fail, if you fail, you just keep coming back in humility. That's a good man. That's the good man God's looking for. So I would encourage you this morning, um, come to these altars. If you're, if anything I shared this morning is the Lord's Maybe put his finger on, he's brought some conviction. Maybe you just want to grow in the Lord. Maybe you just want to come and praise him. I encourage you to come. We'll pray with you this morning. But just know this, it's never going to be in your muscles. (laughs) It's never going to be in your strength or your knowledge. It's always going to be the grace of God.